Romans chapter 1, the gospel, righteousness, and the wrath of God. You saw, I like the first two, I'm not sure about the third. Unless we begin, and I'm going to use the word treasure. Unless we truly begin to treasure the truth of the wrath of God, we will minimize and not treasure the gospel nor God's righteousness and why we need it. Father, we ask for the blessing of the Spirit of God upon us. Give us ears to hear and to receive the Word of God. In this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. These verses, especially verse 16 and 17, I believe, were the key ones many years ago that Martin Luther said, When I saw and understood this, the doors of paradise swung open, and I walked through. You see, like so many, Martin Luther had given himself to think that righteousness could be earned, that he could merit righteousness by things that he did. He was in a system that encouraged that. He was living by faith, but faith in what Martin Luther could do, what Martin Luther could earn. The just shall live by faith. From God's angle, from God's perspective, the only one that matters, the revealed, freely given righteousness of God, from God, by faith in what God does, by faith in what God has done, there lies all of our hope. This is the heart of the gospel. We must have a righteousness from God. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. I like the term that sometimes theologians use. We must have an, an alien righteousness. A righteousness not our own, but from God. So, at the Lord's table today, we will be celebrating the gift of righteousness that is from God. In verse 18, we found, and in many other verses, we find why God's righteousness is necessary. And you look at that verse, and he has just given this glorious verse about not being ashamed of the gospel and, and being living by faith in what God has done. And then all of a sudden in verse 18, he turns to what some might look upon as bad news, but it's good news. The wrath of God. And we have to understand that God's wrath is not like ours. Ours is all over the place and very often unjustified and, and all of that. But God's wrath is consistent, settled, strong, just opposition to all that is wrong, to sin, to unrepenting sinners. The revelation of the wrath of God 
and the utter sinfulness of men is not just the message of verse 18. From verse 18 on to chapter 3, verse 20, he belabors this point. These verses unveil for us the necessity of the gospel. Why is the gospel necessary? Because the wrath of God against all ungodliness must be satisfied. Must be the big word propitiated. It's a good word. God's wrath must be satisfied. In the uh, responsive reading, many would have no problem with it. The opening statement. But it it has a word that... uh, I don't like. I hope you don't like it. Now, if this was a courtroom and I was being charged with a capital offense and after all of the evidence had been given in and all the people had rested and, the, and the, we'll say this was a jury trial and the jury came in and, and they said, how do you find? And they said, not guilty. And then the judge would put the hammer down, or whatever down, and, and he might use the word, Mr. Bell is acquitted, found innocent. In the court of God, I'm not acquitted. I'm redeemed. The blood of Jesus had to be shed. I was found guilty. Now, I understand what they're trying to say, but I don't want to minimize the absolute necessity of redemption. A price had to be paid. I was found guilty. I was found unrighteous. Also notice that the Apostle Paul doesn't say, Now, you dear people, please understand. I know that you're having lots of problems and worries and troubles and Life's getting you down, and the news is bad, and there's stress. And come to Jesus; He'll help you have a better life. No, He says in verse fourteen, "I'm a debtor. I'm ready. I'm not ashamed. I have good news. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and the gospel is needed." Verse eighteen, because. Of the wrath of God. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And if you'll think about it for a moment, this concept of the wrath of God is not just a Romans issue. The the world's most favorite verse, often misunderstood... And this part of it is usually minimized, but John 3.16, what? Without the gospel, all perish. There's a problem. The wrath of God. In chapter 3, verse 36, the wrath of God abides on all who are outside of Christ. Ephesian Christians, so gloriously saved and set forth 
what wonderful salvation we have in Christ. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, he says, hey, I want you to remember something. This is who you were when I found you. You were dead in sin. You were living according to the course of the world. You were under the thumb of the devil. And children of wrath even as others. Are we strangers to the Apostle Paul's urgency about this matter? I'm a debtor. I'm ready. I'm not ashamed. I have good news. Good news that is needed because of the holy wrath of God. The wrath of God is not a bad something bad on the name and the character of God. In the book of Revelation, I didn't take time because I didn't think of it at the moment, but there's a place in the book of Revelation where finally the day of judgment begins to be unfolded. And the ultimate of the wrath of God is being poured out. And the angels and the angelic beings, I think it's chapter 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there. They are worshiping God and praising God because he's meeting out justice. Oh, and it's a very helpful thing to us. All of you who've got resentments and bitternesses in your heart. Romans 12, vengeance is mine, God says, I will repay. It's a good thing that God is a God of wrath. All men and women and youth, apart from Christ, are under the wrath of God and in danger of perishing. That's the issue. Jesus came to a world where men, women, and youth were already under the just and holy wrath of God. Question. Am I gripped? Have I ever been gripped by this? People who've never been gripped by the reality of the wrath of God tend to think lightly of their need of salvation. It's almost like... uh, I think very lightly of my need of a hospital right now. (laughs) Or of of the police. And it's not just because I know we have a security team. But if we don't understand the, the centrality of the issue of God's wrath, we'll likely think very lightly of the wrath of God. And our our need of salvation. And after all, if God is a God of wrath and he needs to do whatever he has to do to deal with it. I'm not all that bad. I deserve his gospel. I deserve to be saved. I can't imagine a God. My God would not send anybody to hell. My God is not a God of wrath. My God is a God of love. I just read this past week of a man who's a pastor somewhere. He said, if I could use one word to describe the Bible, the whole Bible, love. God is love. Hallelujah. 
But three times, God is holy, holy, holy. He is righteous. He is unashamed that he is utterly opposed to sin and that he will punish sinners. The elect angels have no quarrel with God. So why should they? Well, what about the fallen angels? God exhibited them to them no mercy, just justice. And the angels are excited for our kind. Unto you is born in the city of David a savior. The lost will not value or treasure the gospel unless they are awakened to the just and holy wrath of God. That's why the first minister of the Holy Spirit is to convict people of sin and righteousness and judgment. Have you ever been awakened to your sin and the holy wrath of God against sinners? God is going to pour out his wrath on sinners. He has a long history of this. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. The wrath of God began to be poured out. The judgment of God began to be poured out. They experienced the judgment of God. It was revealed at the flood. Revealed at Sodom and Gomorrah. Every time you go to a funeral home, you are witnessing the judgment of God against sin. The person may have lived a Christian life, may have been born again by the Spirit of God, but they do not escape death. We live under the throes of death. Now in Christ, hallelujah, it opens the door to eternity with him. But all of that is small compared to the ultimate expression of his wrath that was poured out on Jesus at Calvary. When we come to the Lord's table, this, this is astounding that the Father poured out his wrath on his Son that we deserved. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God's wrath is poured out and God gives people and nations over to live unrestrained in their rebellion. We, we look at all the headlines and we scratch our heads and we think, isn't man horrible and, and, and we're reaping what we've sown and, and, and yet few people seem to say, you know what, the, the headlines, especially in our time, seem to say, it's just like it's just like men have been set loose. It's just like somebody opened the gate. Well, even that's certainly what happened in the days of Noah and is happening today. The wrath of God is right now being revealed. That's what Romans 1 tells us. He gives them over. He gives them over. So if I want to continue down this road of sin, 
Uh, thus far, I've not had any consequence. I'm just going to continue down this road of sin. Uh, nothing has happened yet. I'm going to take my chances. It comes in a day. Came a day in Samson's life. I'm going to go out like I've always gone. This concept is not something that's just reserved for the lost. Even the New Testament lists Samson in the heroes of the faith. Samson was not immune to the judgment of God against sin. He obviously will not experience the eternal wrath of God, or else he wouldn't be listed in that chapter in Hebrews. But the point of it is, the wrath of God is taking place today. We, we, we see people, we hear about people who, who are doing such unspeakable, un, unheard of things. Who would have, in my lifetime, who would have, I never would have dreamed that we'd come to a time where people don't know if they're a man or a woman, or they don't even know if they're human. Well, this is not just merely the results of man's rebellion. It is also, God comes to a place when he says, if that's the way you want to go, I'm cutting the leash. Ephraim is joined to her idols. Leave her alone. Paul said, the reason I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ is because it's God's gospel. It's God's power. It is the revelation of the righteousness of God. Verse 17. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ can set a person free from his holy wrath. From his eternal wrath. Are you free? Have you been brought to that place? You go back. You might not know the time on the calendar. But you, you can sit here today and you can think about the Lord's table. And you say, but for the grace of God, I'd still be roaming around in the fields of sin. I'd still be longing to go down a road that I know does not please the Lord. Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 4, as we've mentioned so many times and mentioned earlier, reveals the desperate human condition of lost people and puts it in the context of Christians of Ephesus. This is who you were. And the next verse the next word is, but God. Henry David Thoreau, famous person in America, a talented, maybe, maybe a nice man. He was asked one day if he'd made his peace with God. He said, I've never had a quarrel with God. Well, maybe so. 
I think Cain lived most of his life with no quarrel with God. He was happy, good farmer, good gardener, and when called upon to worship God, of course I'll worship God. Here are all my fruits and vegetables. Nothing in his offering revealed that he was a sinner under the wrath of God, and the only way a sinner can be received by a holy God is for there to be a substitutionary blood sacrifice. So, God had a quarrel with Cain. God had a quarrel with David Henry Thoreau. And God has a quarrel with every man, woman, and youth. And only the blood of Jesus Christ can solve the problem. Have you come to Christ? All have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. All are children of wrath, even as others. Until you see or believe this, you will never value the gospel. In your own words, can you say from your heart of hearts this morning, I came to a place where I was overwhelmed with the burden of my sin. I came to realize that I was under the judgment of God, the wrath of God. By the grace of God, Jesus was revealed to me as the only Savior, and I fled to him for his righteousness. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. As simple as that, as profound as that. Or to state it this way, God is holy. God cannot tolerate sin. The wrath of God is his steady opposition against sin. The wrath of God is God's judgment against sin. And we've all sinned. Notice in verse 18 that God's wrath is pointedly against two expressions of rebellion and sin. Ungodliness. God's wrath is against all ungodliness. In other words, the sin of not reverencing and honoring God as God. Against the sin of unrighteousness. Unrighteousness flows out of ungodliness. It is a disregard for God's holy law, for God's will. But let's ask the question, why would saved people, most of you will be coming to the Lord's table today, why do you and I need to frequently, seriously meditate upon the doctrine of the wrath of God? What are the benefits? What's the reason? We must drink of this doctrine because we need to be duly impressed with God's hatred of sin. Is that not even found in the wonderful passage? We'll read a portion of it. We read a portion of it, at least a portion of it, every time we come to the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. And in that chapter, he warns about taking the Lord's Supper flippantly. And because there were people at Corinth who would come to the Lord's Supper, but they had, were hating each other and being selfish, and, and uh, they had a fellowship meal, and, and the poor people didn't have anything to eat, and the others were gouged. 
And so he says, some of you are weak. Some of you are sick. Some of you have died. For if we would not judge ourselves, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So, a message to the believer. He said, well, it's a little bit different flavor between, there's a big difference between chastening and the eternal wrath of God. But the chastening of God is no small thing. Some of these people were weak, some were sick, some were died. Because of their sin that had not been repented of. We should develop a holy fear of God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28 through 31. In that passage, he talks about the punishment that will be due to those who have trodden underfoot the Son of God. And the Lord shall judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You say, well, I didn't come to church. I, I went through snow and ice and endangered myself to come and here you are trying to scare me. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just giving myself and you the word of God, the sacred doctrine of the wrath of God. And it should thrill your soul. It can't thrill your soul. If, if you were here and you some months ago had been diagnosed with the worst sort of cancer, no treatment will work. And yet you... We're able to sit here this morning and say, hallelujah, I'm cancer free. You would have a joy about that that I wouldn't have. I, mean, I could be happy for you, but you would have a joy about that that nobody else would have. You were the one who was afflicted. You're the one who's set free. If you've never owned up to your affliction with sin and being under the just and holy wrath of God, you and I will think very little of this. It'll just be a routine. All of this is that we might be moved to praise God. First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10. We might be moved to praise God that in his mercy... He saved all of his saints from the wrath to come. Not the wrath of men, not the wrath of Satan, but the wrath of God. We should also be moved like the Apostle Paul, like Noah. He preached righteousness, warning his generation of wrath to come. Should we not want to go into our world with a burden for those who are lost? To want to give them the gospel so that one day 
they'll rejoice at being forgiven. God is going to magnify his, he's going to exercise his mighty power, he's going to justify his justice, he's going to overthrow all rebellion. That's one of the big, the big messages in the book of Revelation. So flee to Jesus. God is angry with the wicked every day. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Someone has said that the wrath of God is like great waters. If God should withdraw his merciful hand from the floodgate, the floods of fierceness and the wrath of God would rush forth with inconceivable fury. I believe it may have been Spurgeon who cried out, O sinner, consider the fearful danger you're in. It is a furnace of wrath, and you hang by a slender thread. Or it might have been Jonathan Edwards. It matters not, but that's the truth. Today is a day of mercy. Flee from the wrath of God. As a person outside of faith, outside of Christ. The Holy Spirit is calling you to own your sin. Not just, oh, we're all sinners. Pretty much in the South, with upcoming generations, this is not true. But pretty much in the South, if you, for most of us here, we've grown up with an, with an awareness, yes, sin, yes, we've all sinned. This is more than just a tacit agreement. This is, oh Lord God, I have sinned. And I'm under your wrath. And I don't deserve your mercy. But you have said, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. There's a warning in this passage about those who suppress, push down the truth. Don't push down, suppress the truth of your need of Christ. Don't push down or suppress this glorious doctrine of the wrath of God. And as a Christian, don't quench the Spirit. Conscience speaks. The Holy Spirit prompts. The Holy Spirit convicts. Push it aside. It's a deadly place to be. Because when you get in verse 21 and following, those who refuse for God to be God, something happens. Because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. There are consequences. When we refuse to act upon the truth that God has revealed to us, when we refuse to surrender to God as boss, as sovereign, when we refuse to express gratitude with God, we're opening up ourselves to an incredible judgment. A mind that doesn't think straight. Emotions that are way off balance. 
can, in verse 22, in God's view, become fools. I think many of us can look around and say, I, I, I can't fully grasp how foolish so many people in our country, how, how they're acting that way. Well, the judgment of God. The consequences of the wrath of God. The very essence of sin is to put yourself in the place of God. I will not be ruled over by God. I'm going to run. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Look in the mirror. You just looked at God. A false God. And you'll come to no good end. A mind that is darkened. Emotions that are messed up. Loving the wrong thing at the wrong time. Perception about reality twisted. Worshipping humans. First of all, with yourself. God is speaking from his word this morning to us. If you're outside of Christ, flee from the wrath of God. Come to Christ. All who come to him, he will in no wise cast out. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Are you here as a child of God? Flee to his throne of grace yet again and again. O Lord Jesus, I've allowed the stuff of this world, the cares of life, to push down, to suppress your truth. And my love for you has grown cold. The Lord would have his table to be a table of revival where we face afresh and anew. Lord, you've saved me from your wrath. What an astounding wonder. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the price you paid. And because you first loved me, I'm called upon and I yield to loving you back. Our Father, we bless you and praise you for the wonder of your holiness, for the wonder of your righteousness, for the glorious gospel. For the glorious truth, the good news truth, that we serve a righteous God who is consistently against sin, who punishes sin. At the end of the day, there is no escape from sin that is unconfessed and unrepented of. Astounding wonder, there is a place of refuge. There is a place to be set free. And we glory in the cross where Jesus gave thanks and laid down his life, paid the sin debt, 
satisfy the wrath of God on all who come to the Son, who are brought to the Son, who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. For these things we give you thanks. In Jesus' precious name, amen.